0: So tonight we have part seven in our discussion on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we'll start in d 133, verse 16. Hearken and hear, O ye inhabitants of the earth. Listen, ye elders of my church, together, and hear the voice of the Lord. For he calleth upon all men, and he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. For behold, the Lord God has sent forth the angel crying through the midst of heaven, saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight, for the hour of his coming is nigh. When the Lamb shall stand upon Mount Zion, and with him a 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Wherefore prepare ye for the coming of the bridegroom, go ye, go ye out to meet him. For behold, he shall stand upon the Mount of Olivet, and upon the mighty ocean, even the great deep, and upon the islands of the sea, and upon the land of Zion. And he shall utter his voice out of Zion, and he shall speak from Jerusalem, and his voice shall be heard among all people. And it shall be a voice as the voice of many waters, and the voice of a great thunder, which shall break down the mountains, and the valleys shall not be found. And he shall command the great deep, and it shall be driven back into the north countries. And the island shall come become one land. And the land of Jerusalem and the land of Zion shall be turned back into their own place. And the earth shall be like as it was in the days before it was divided. And the Lord, even the Savior, shall stand in the midst of his people and shall reign. Now, in verse 18, it talks about the 144,000 with father's name written upon their foreheads and that they will stand with Christ so let's go to D&C 77 And in verse 14, uh, we learn about the 144,000 and those who lead them. And, you know, he who leads the 144,000 is one of the Lord's end-time servants. And his mission is to gather out um, a strata. Of the house of Israel and to bring them into the church of the firstborn. And this end time servant works hand in hand with the end time Davidic servant talked about in Isaiah. So, in DNC 77, verse 14, what do we do understand by the little book which was eaten by John as mentioned in the 10th chapter of Revelation? Answer. We have to understand that it was a mission and an ordinance for him to gather the tribes of Israel. Behold, this is Elias, who, as it is written, must come and restore all things. So we can find out more about this mission of John the Revelator and his gathering as we go to verse 9 in d and 77. What do we do, to understand by the angel ascending from the east, revelation seven chapter second verse, We're to understand that the angel ascending from the east is he to whom is given the seal of the living God over the twelve tribes of Israel, Wherefore he crieth unto the four angels, having the everlasting gospel, saying, Hurt not e- either, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees." till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come to gather together the tribes of Israel and restore all things. Now in verse 11, it drills down even further on John's mission, uh, presiding over the work of the 144,000 and their work of gathering the tribes of Israel. Verse 11, and what are we to understand by sealing the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe? Answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests, ordained to the holy order of God, to administer the everlasting gospel. For they are they who are, are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. So, while John the Revelator's ministry is to gather out from the four quarters of the earth the twelve tribes of Israel, it is to a very specific group, of the 12 tribes of Israel that he presides in the gathering. And that is to the elect. Now, the elect are those who have received the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it is Joseph Smith Jr.'s mission to gather out from the four corners of the earth, the 12 tribes of Israel, into the Church of Christ and to work with them and help them ascend to the level of elect, or in other words, to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that then they might qualify for one of the 144,000, whom John the Revelator presides over to work with them and help them ascend uh, to the next spiritual level of the Church of the Firstborn and be prepared to join with the city of Enoch in the establishment of New Jerusalem. So, if we go now to DNC 101. We have Joseph Smith's end-time mission, Um, having just looked at John the Revelator's end-time mission. So in verse 55, the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, Go and gather together the residue of my servants, and take all of the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men and they that are of middle-aged also among all my servants, who are the strength of mine house, save only those whom I have appointed to tarry. So this again is Joseph Smith's second ministry when he returns to finish the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the restoration of the terrestrial order of the gospel, which... He originally restored in 1829, but was taken away from the saints as early as May 1834. Because the saints would not enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. They would not seek after and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And therefore would not receive that sanctification, which would allow them to enter into the rest of the Lord. So because the early saints rejected the new covenant, just as the children of Israel did under Moses, as recorded in D&C 84, the fullness was taken from them, and they were left with the preparatory gospel, the gospel of repentance and baptism by water. So in verse 55, when Joseph Smith returns in his second ministry, um, And he is specifically called out as this servant to whom the Lord is speaking in verse 55, D&C 103, verse 21. Verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith, Jr. is the man to whom I likened the servant, to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. Therefore, let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say unto the strength of my house, my young men, they that are of middle age, gather yourselves together unto the land of Zion, upon the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. Now, DNC 103 is a commentary on the parable of redemption of Zion, DNC 101. And it has everything in the parable is metaphorical. So when it says, gather together, my young men, and they that are of middle age, that doesn't have reference to biological age. It has reference to those who have already entered into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, are seeking after, or who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and are prepared to join shoulder to shoulder with the end time servants in declaring the doctrine of Christ in preparation for that final separation of wheat and tares among the Latter-day Saints, which will commence the end time Exodus to be led by Joseph Smith and the destruction of the tares who will not receive the new and everlasting covenant. And, Enter into that covenant whereby they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. So back in D&C 101. So Joseph Smith Jr. has been named as this servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard is speaking. So first, go gather together the residue of my servants, because not only does Joseph Smith return, but so do all of those who the Lord calls my apostles and my friends in the Book of Mormon, most of them uh, receiving this title before 1835 when Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer call 12 men to the church office of 12 apostles in the demoted Church of the Latter day Saints or Preparatory Gospel. In DNC 88, they're also called the first labors in the last kingdom. So he gathers them together. And they received the direction to begin the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, to declare the doctrine of Christ unto all who will receive it, that they may be numbered among the strength of the Lord's house, or those who will be led out on the end-time exodus. Save those only whom I have appointed to tarry, They are they over whom John the Revelator has charge. They are they who are translated beings whose mission it is to then work with those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, um, to help them ascend to the next level, to the Church of the Firstborn, just as it is the mission of Joseph Smith Jr. and the servants who return with him as well as the strength of the Lord's house to declare repentance and the new and everlasting covenant to all of those who will enter into it that they may begin seeking after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard, and redeem my vineyard for it is mine, I have bought it with money. Therefore get ye straightway into the land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of mine house and possess the land. So not only does Joseph and the end-time servants um, finish the restoration of the Church of Christ, the terrestrial order, and begin the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, but they expose all hidden works of darkness, and throw down the towers of the enemy, and scatter the watchmen of the enemy, which are described earlier in this parable. And then 63. And again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches, or concerning all of those groups of people who enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and seek to enter into the terrestrial order of the gospel or the church of Christ, inasmuch as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue, that I may build them up unto my name upon holy places, for the time of harvest is come, and my word must needs be fulfilled. Therefore, I must gather together my people, according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life. Now, the wheat are those among the members of the Restoration movements, and primarily among the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who when the fullness of the gospel is declared to them, and the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost, and second comforter are declared to them, that they enter into this covenant and start earnestly seeking after these things. While the tares that are named are those who reject this new covenant, those who reject their opportunity to enter into the terrestrial order of Christ, or the Church of Christ. That the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and crowned with celestial glory, when I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be, while their tares shall be bound in bundles, and their bands be made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Now, let's look deeper into this separation of wheat and tares. And, you know, specifically um, to this destruction that shall come upon the tares. Now, in the Book of Commandments, um, which was the forerunner to the Doctrine and Covenants, and was given to the saints while we still had what was called the fullness of the gospel of the Church of Christ. Um, for the Doctrine and Covenants was published in 1835, and it was published to you know, the Church of the Latter-day Saints after we had been demoted from the terrestrial to the telestial order. Now, while we still have the terrestrial order, in the Book of Commandments, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Lord gives a warning to the saints. He says, And thus, if the people of this generation harden not their hearts, I will work a reformation among them, and I will put down all lines and deceivings and priestcrafts and endings and stripes and idolatries, and sorceries, and all manner of iniquities. And I will establish my church like unto the church which was taught by my disciples in the days of old. Again, talking about the terrestrial order of the gospel, or the church of Christ. Verse 6, And now if this generation do harden their hearts against my word, behold, I will deliver them up unto Satan. For he reigneth, and hath much power at this time. For he hath got great hold upon the hearts of the people of this generation. And not far from the iniquities of Sodom and Gomorrah do they come at this time. And behold, the sword of justice hangeth over their heads. And if they persist in the hardness of their hearts, the time cometh that it must fall upon them. Behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem. And my word shall be verified at this time, as it hath hitherto been verified. So, the Lord never brings about destruction upon his people until he has first warned them. And not only does he warn them, but he gives them a generous amount of time to repent and return. So, you know, we have both the warning that the saints would be delivered up unto Satan if they hardened their hearts against his word, or if they would not enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Well, if they would, he declares that the fullness of his gospel would be established among them. Now, it's important to note that the restoration wasn't given all at once to Joseph Smith on a silver platter. It came layer by layer, and it often came in response to questions and inquiries that Joseph Smith would make. So the foundations of the restoration of the Church of Christ was made at the establishment of the Church of Christ in 1829, even before its official incorporation Um, and its restoration uh, was well underway. However, it got cut short when, in May 1834, Christ took His name out of the Church, and we were demoted from the terrestrial Church of Christ to the telestial Church of the Latter Day Saints. Um, but this did not come um, without first receiving additional warnings. So, in D&C 84 verse 53. And, you know, this warning is given in 1832. And it's a follow-up to the warning that the saints received in the book of commandments, chapter four, verses five and six. The DNC 84, verse 53. And by this, you may know that the righteous from the wicked and that the whole world groaneth under sin and darkness even now. And your minds in past times have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon all, even the children of Zion. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent. So. By 1832, we have progressed from a warning that the members of the church would be delivered up unto Satan if they did not enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. We have progressed from that warning to officially coming under condemnation because we had rejected the new covenant in the Book of Mormon and as we have previously discussed in verse 57 of D&C 84 the revelation that was actually given to joseph smith differs by one word as it is published in D&C 84 and the revelation that was given to joseph smith was the new covenant in the book of mormon or the new covenant even in the book of mormon the in has been deleted, and that radically changes our understanding of the curse and why we had come under the curse. For until that word in is restored, uh, it appears that we had come under condemnation simply because we were not reading the Book of Mormon enough, and that's not it. The reason that we had come under condemnation wasn't that we weren't reading the Book of Mormon enough. It's that we weren't entering into the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, which is given by Christ in 3 Nephi 9 when he tells us that we are to offer or offer up a new sacrifice, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And that when we do offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit, he promises us that he would baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. So just like the children of Israel under Moses, uh, as it says in DNC eighty four, verse twenty three. Now this Moses plainly talk to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts. And so what did Moses plainly teach to the children of Israel? Well, he plainly taught the new sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism and the Holy Ghost. And so did Joseph Smith. He taught the early saints the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism and the Holy Ghost, and thus be prepared to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory, just as Joseph Smith had done. and the former commandments which I have given unto them, not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. So not only to say, it's not enough just to say that I desire to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. One also must have the works of he or her who offers up a broken heart and contrite spirit, who enters into that covenant. Not only to say, but also to do. That they may bring forth fruit, meat for their father's kingdom. Well, what's the fruit, meat for their father's kingdom? Well, it's to become sons and daughters of Christ. For when we enter into that new covenant, and actually receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that is when Christ extends his name to us, and adopts us as his sons and his daughters. And at that point, we actually have the capacity to take his name upon us. While prior to that, we covenant, and this is implicit in the uh, sacrament prayer and sacrament covenants, that we are willing to take upon us the name of Christ. And we must be willing to take upon us the name of Christ before we actually are able to take upon us the name of Christ, which occurs at the time of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that is the fruit of the Father's kingdom that Christ seeks to lay up unto himself those who will take his name upon them and become his sons and daughters through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Otherwise there remaineth a scourge and a judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. Now I want you to remember in the scriptures that we are about to read this term scourge because it, it uh, ties in specifically to the judgments of God that will be poured out upon the Latter-day Saints who fail to enter into this new covenant. The beginning of the scourging judgment is the demotion of the members of the Church of Christ to the Church of the Latter-day Saints. In May 1834, the official name change took place in December 1834, as we're demoted from the terrestrial order to the celestial Preparatory Gospel. However, this was only the beginning of the Scourging Judgment. And, you know, as we would see We were smitten and driven from um, city to city, from state to state, even until we were finally driven out of Nauvoo. But even that was not the fullness of the scourge and judgment that would be poured out upon the Latter-day Saints. Uh, As is prophesied to happen, before Christ comes in His glory, verse fifty-nine. For shall the children of the kingdom pollute my holy land? Verily I say to you, nay. Now, if we go to D&C one twelve, verses twenty-three through twenty-six. Um, we read that the cleansing will begin in the Lord's own house. And this is the fullness of the scourge and judgment that the Lord promises the saints in D&C 84 for those who will not repent and return. Enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Verse 23 in DNC 112. Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. So, you know, this isn't just the darkness that had covered the earth in 1832 when the saints came under condemnation. This is an increase in darkness um, that started, you know, then and has steadily escalated until the time that these things would be fulfilled. Which times we are living in right now and which fulfillment we are about to witness. Verse 24, behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth. A day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation. And also this word desolation is, you know, a word that has additional meaning in the scriptures that we are going to be reading and in the times that are going to be coming. So remember this word desolation in connection with the vengeance that the Lord is going to pour out upon the inhabitants of the earth during that day of wrath and burning. A day of mourning and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth. Now, in the parable of the redemption of Zion, in c 101, uh, the Lord tells us what his house is. And his house is uh, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Or those to whom the fullness of the gospel was restored by Joseph Smith. So, this end-time calamity directly preceding the Lord's second coming um, at its full weight and measure, as the Lord's wrath is poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth, it begins among the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now it begins upon those whom the Lord termed the tares, in the parable of the redemption of Zion. So after the separation of the wheat and the tares by Joseph, the end-time servants, and the strength of the Lord's house, um, and upon my house shall it begin among the tares, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord among those who refuse to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me. Or in other words, those who are fig trees with leaves but no fruit. Or the latter day priests and Pharisees, Parallel to the priests and Pharisees of Christ's day who profess to have the power of God who profess to have the authority of God Um, but in reality although they have leaves or the outer trappings of power, authority and a relationship with Christ they have no fruit or in other words They do not have the actual relationship with Christ. And the relationship with Christ being talked about is they are not Christ's sons and his daughters. They have not entered into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And even though it was their opportunity and responsibility to enter into this new covenant and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, yet they would not. However, they profess to have everything that was restored to Joseph Smith. And even this applies to members of the church who, although they have current temple recommends, they have taken out their endowments in the LDS temples and they have had their marriages sealed, Um, yet, uh, they have not entered into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and have not received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, even after the doctrine of Christ is declared to them in power and authority by the end-time servants, by the strength of the Lord's house, and by Joseph Smith, Jr. himself. 26 in d and 112. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me. And we have just defined what that means. And have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. So blaspheming against me in the midst of my house, well, what is the midst of the Lord's house? Um... The midst of the Lord's house is, uh, as is defined in DNC 101. You know, we might think it's the temple, but it's not actually the temple. My house are the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So how have they blasphemed in the midst of the Lord's house? Well, they have professed and have claimed to have authority and power of Jesus Christ which they do not have. That is what in this context it means to blaspheme against the Lord in the midst of his house. Now let's go to DNC 5. And again, we have reference to um, how the cleansing will begin in the Lord's own house. But beginning in the Lord's own house doesn't mean it ends there. It begins there and proceeds to the entire earth d 5, verse 16. And behold, whosoever believeth on my words, them will I visit with the manifestation of my spirit. And they shall be born of me, even of water and of the spirit. So again, as the doctrine of Christ is declared to the people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Lord's house, Those who receive the doctrine of Christ with gladness receive baptism by water into the terrestrial order of the gospel and the new covenant, whereby they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verses 18 through 20, and their testimony shall also go forth unto the condemnation of this generation if they harden their hearts against them. So, in other words, we have the separation of wheat and tares talked about in D&C 101. So those who will not offer up broken heart and contrite spirit are they who harden their hearts against our God, even Jesus Christ. Verse 19, For a desolating scourge shall go forth among the inhabitants of the earth, and shall continue to be poured out from time to time, if they repent not until the earth is empty and the inhabitants thereof are consumed away and utterly destroyed by the brightness of my coming. So, you know, this is not talking about a fake pandemic as is currently upon us. At some point, there will be a true pandemic that will be released upon the world. And, the cleansing begins in the Lord's own house, and as we, you know, find out in Isaiah, the the wheat are let out on the eve of destruction, while the tares are destroyed by this desolating scourge, and by the the tyranny and the destruction that Isaiah. Terms is wreaked out by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, after the whole earth has come into bondage. Behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem, and my word shall be verified at this time as it hath hitherto been verified. So, The Lord, through the apostles and through Daniel, warned the Jews of Christ's day and through Christ himself that if they did not repent and return and enter into the new covenant, um, they would be destroyed by the abomination of desolation. And there would be two abominations of desolation, one after the Jews had fully rejected the doctrine of Christ and the second in the last days among the people to whom the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be restored, who would, like the Jews of Christ's day, reject the fullness of the gospel after it had been offered to them, even that of a broken heart, contrite spirit, To seek after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. Now, let's turn to JST Matthew, verses 9 through 33. And this Joseph Smith Matthew is right after the book of Abraham. And in these verses, we have reference to both the abomination of desolation that will occur among the Jews of Christ's day and among the Latter-day Saints of our day. And the destruction among the Jews of Christ's day, or that abomination of desolation, is a type and a shadow for the abomination of desolation that is prophesied to be poured out upon the latter-day saints uh, or upon the Jews of the last days. Starting in verse 9. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that remaineth steadfast and is not overcome, the same shall be saved. Or the wheat, those who enter into the new covenant, versus the tares who will not. When you, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, then you shall stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop flee, and not return to take anything out of his house. Neither let him who is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and woe unto them that give suck in those days. Therefore pray ye the Lord that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So... You know, this has reference both to the abomination of desolation or the destruction of Jerusalem that would be carried out upon the Jews um, in Christ's day and also upon the Latter day Saints in our day. And in, you know, after Christ's crucifixion, You know, it was the Roman legions under Titus that laid siege to Jerusalem in AD 70 And that was the first abomination of desolation. And so it serves as a type for the end-time abomination of desolation. So, and this has reference directly to when Joseph Smith will lead out... Strength of the Lord's house on the eve of destruction. Um, if the Latter Day Saints are not ready, if they will not by that time enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, the window has now closed for them, and there is both a spiritual and a physical aspect to it. The spiritual aspect is the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that this is what separates the wheat from the tares. And the wheat will also be ready to go out on a physical exodus and actually leave their physical bondage and their physical servitude, which we are currently In the times where the foundation of that bondage is being established, but has not yet been fully set up. Verse 18, for then in those days shall great tribulation on the Jews shall be great tribulation on the Jews and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, such as was not before sent upon Israel. Of God since the beginning of their kingdom until this time, no, nor never shall be sent again upon Israel. All things which have befallen them are only the beginning of the sorrows which shall come upon them. And so just as the sorrows that befell the early saints were only the beginning of the sorrows that would befall the Latter-day Saints before the coming of Christ, as we were smitten and driven back during the days of Joseph Smith, um, so will the scourge that will be poured out upon the Latter-day Saints the second time um, dwarf in comparison the scourge that was poured out upon the early saints During the first ministry of Joseph Smith. Verse 20. And except those days should be shortened, there should none of their flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, according to the covenant, those days shall be shortened. Behold, these things I have spoken unto you concerning the Jews. And again, after the tribulation of those days, which shall come upon Jerusalem, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, Or there, believe him not. For in those days shall also arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if possible, they shall deceive the very elect who are the elect according to the covenant. Now, these false Christs and these false prophets haven't yet come upon the scene. And they will work many, many mighty miracles and show forth signs. And this is the time when that parable of the twelve virgins uh, set forth in D&C 45 will be fulfilled. And in verse 56, And at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit as their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. Well, that's how those who are the very elect will be able to discern a true prophet from a false one, a true Christ from the false Christ. Because they have taken the Holy Spirit as their guide, they will be able to discern those false prophets who are able to perform miracles, but not by the power of God, from those true prophets who are able to perform miracles by the power of God. Those who speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost versus those who speak and take the name of the Lord's name in vain by claiming that they have authority from God to speak and to act and to prophesy and yet have no authority and do not speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost and do not work their miracles and wonders by the power of God, but by some other power. Only those who have taken the Holy Spirit as their guide will be able to discern the true prophet from the false one, the Christ from the false Christ. And, you know, again, you know, we're talking specifically about The members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And while this also has, you know, further connotations to the rest of the Christian world, you know, primarily we're talking to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are expected to be at even a higher spiritual level because they've been given more truth. They are expected to have taken the Holy Spirit of their guide to discern a true prophet from a false one. Verse 23. Behold, I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake, and you also shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all that I have told you must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, and covereth the whole earth, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, let's... Verse 27, and now I show unto you a parable. Behold, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So likewise shall mine elect be gathered from the four quarters of the earth. Or in other words, the work of the gathering out of the children of Israel will commence under Joseph Smith. The gathering out from among them of the elect will commence by the 144,000. And they will be gathered unto one place, even the place of New Jerusalem. And the gathering out begins with the separation of the wheat and the tares by Joseph Smith and by the end-time servants. And the beginning of that end-time exodus that... We read about in DNC one hundred three, which begins the taking forth of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are not latter day saints, beginning with the Lamanites and eventually going forth to the entire world, that those who will receive the doctrine of Christ also may be gathered out. Verse 28, And they shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Behold, I speak for mine elect's sake. For a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. And again, because of iniquity shall abound, the love of men shall wax cold. But he that shall not be overcome, the same shall be saved. And again, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come or the destruction of the wicked. And again shall the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet be fulfilled. So the beginning of the abomination of desolation begins with the destruction that comes upon the Lord's own house among the terrors. And the wheat or the elect, are gathered out uh, into an end-time exodus. And from that end-time exodus will proceed this taking of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Verse 31, And again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. So, This commences with the end-time exodus, and it concludes when Christ comes in his glory. And although this end-time exodus culminates with meeting up with Enoch and the establishment of New Jerusalem, it continues, or at least the ministry continues, to gather out from the four corners of the earth, all of those who will accept the doctrine of Christ. And the destruction that is coming is not only from the desolating scourge, but also from, verse 29, famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. And also the sword. And while... The beginning of the abomination of desolation begins with the destruction of the tares. It culminates with the destruction of all of the wicked by the time that Christ comes in the fullness of his glory. But most of the destruction is actually carried out by he who Isaiah calls the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Or that entity in the last days who amasses to itself all political, economic, and military power becomes the staff in the Lord's left hand to destroy the wicked. Or the wicked destroy the wicked. Now let's go to Daniel. Actually, let's now go to DNC 84. Before we go to Daniel, let's go to DNC 84. And let's read verses 84 and 85. Pardon me. Let's go to verses 114 and 117. Verse 114 DNC the NC 84. Nevertheless, let the bishop go up unto the city of New York, and also to the city of Albany, and also to the city of Boston, and warn the people of those cities with the sound of the gospel, with a loud voice of the desolation, and utter abolishment, which await them if they do reject these things. Now, again, um, this is not talking about the scourges and the desolation that accompanied Joseph Smith's first ministry. These are the scourges and the desolations that accompany his second ministry unto the wicked, who will not accept the new covenant. And verse 117, And verily I see unto you the rest of my servants, go ye forth as your circumstances shall permit in your several callings, unto the great and notable cities and villages, reproving the world in righteousness of all their unrighteous and ungodly deeds, setting forth clearly and understandingly the desolation of abomination in the last days, because not only um, will the abomination of desolation come upon the Lord's own house and destroy those saints who will not enter into the new covenant, but the abomination of desolation will extend to all peoples, and it will be the responsibility of the end time servants and those who join with them after the separation of the wheat and the tares has been accomplished among the Lord's own house to take the voice of warning to the rest of North America. And, you know, specifically to, you know, warn the cities of New York and Albany and Boston and the notable cities and villages repro- reproving the world in righteousness of all their unrighteousness and ungodly deeds. Now setting forth clearly and understandingly the desolation of abomination in the last days. Now in DNC 88. verse 84, verses 84 and 85. Therefore tarry ye and labor diligently that you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles for the last time, as many as the mouth of the Lord shall name to bind up the law and to seal up the testimony and to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment which is to come. That their souls may escape the wrath of God, the desolation of abomination, which awaits the wicked, both in this world and in the world to come. Verily, I say unto you, that those who are not the first elders continue in the vineyard until the mouth of the Lord shall call them. For their time is not yet come. Their garments are not clean from the blood of this generation. For... Those who the Lord calls the first elders, you know, they are they who return with Joseph Smith Jr. to continue the work of the declaration to the entire earth of the judgments which are coming, of the gospel of repentance and salvation, of the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and of baptism of fire, and of baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, this abomination of desolation, which is originally spoken of in Daniel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 11. And again, the the prophecy of this desolation spoken of by Daniel has dual fulfillment, both um the destruction of the Jews under Titus and the destruction that begins with the latter- day saints um, with the return of Joseph Smith. And Daniel 11 verses 30 through 33For the ships of Shatim shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation, against the Holy Covenant, so shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. So this has reference to the king of Babylon, the king of Assyria, talked about by Isaiah. And have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Well, the Holy Covenant is the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. So, you know, this is speaking specifically about the Latter-day Saints to whom the knowledge of the New Covenant has gone, but who reject the New Covenant. Verse 31, And arm shall stand on his part. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword, and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. So, take away the daily sacrifice. The new and everlasting covenant, which is the new sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit has been the same from the days of Adam, even until our day. The New and Everlasting Covenant has never changed. Um, However, there is a people who have changed the New and Everlasting Covenant. And they actually have not changed the New and Everlasting Covenant, but they have changed knowledge about the New and Everlasting Covenant. And they have changed the knowledge about the New and Everlasting Covenant, which does not change from a broken heart and contrite spirit to, in D&C 132, Brigham Young changed the New and Everlasting Covenant to plural marriage. And it is the general understanding of the saints today that the New and Everlasting Covenant is, in fact, temple marriage. And while marriage and having that marriage sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise is important and absolutely crucial, it is not the New and Everlasting Covenant. The New and Everlasting Covenant is the how we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's how we as a people and individuals receive that sanctification that prepares us To enter into the rest of the Lord. And this is the pollution that Daniel is talking about in Daniel chapter 11. That the Lord's people would pollute the Lord's holy house. Meaning that they would pollute the doctrine of Christ. And that they would obscure how God's people are to enter into the New Covenant, how they are to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and how they are to enter into the rest of the Lord. And because the New Covenant has been obscured, Nephi comments on the Latter-day Saints in Second Nephi 28, verse 14. They were stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray. Well, how have they all gone astray? Because they have had knowledge regarding the true covenant of a broken heart and contract spirit removed from them, even though it is in the scriptures of the restoration. It has been removed from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They have all gone astray, save it be a few, who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led, that in many instances they do err, because they are taught by the precepts of men. So even those who earnestly, among the Latter-day Saints, strive to seek Jesus Christ and to be his disciples, they have had the path of discipleship obscured from them, because the terms of the new and everlasting covenant have been obscured by changing its definition to marriage in the temple instead of the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and receiving that sanctification that prepares a man and woman to enter into the rest of the Lord. And it's so ironic because um, when you have a particularly spiritually adept temple sealer in the LDS temple, he will tell the newly married couple that this is only a preparatory sealing, that their marriage does not become eternal until it is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Jesus Christ. And to have that marriage sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Jesus Christ, it requires that first a man and woman both receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. So they don't even have the opportunity to have an eternal marriage until they enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost which they have been deceived into thinking is simply temple marriage. And thus they have been cheated from actually having an eternal marriage because they don't even know what the new covenant is. They don't even know what the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost is. They don't even know what is required of the Lord's people that they might have their marriage sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, and thus actually have an eternal marriage. And thus, as it says at the end of verse 14 in 2 Nephi 28, they have all gone astray, save it be a few, who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Going back to Daniel. Reading again, verse 30, or at least midway through verse 30. And have indignation against the Holy Covenant, a broken heart and contrite spirit. It having been forgotten and been replaced by a false covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Meaning that this disregarding of the new covenant was not done by accident, it was done by plan. And it was done by planning of the adversary who would inspire those who would enter into the secret combination. Which secret combination would culminate with the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, who would destroy almost the entire earth before the coming of Jesus Christ, and would collude with those who would remove the true new and everlasting covenant From the saints of God. Verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. And shall take away the daily sacrifice. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Well, this taking away the daily sacrifice is the daily sacrifice talked about by Christ in 3 Nephi chapter 9. So in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 20. This is the daily sacrifice. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 12. And again let's read about the abomination of desolation prophesied by Daniel. Starting in Daniel chapter 12, verse one. And at that time, shall Michael stand up the great prince, which stand for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And, At that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So, on the eve of destruction, or the separation of the wheat and the tares, or on the eve of the abomination of desolation, which cleansing shall begin in the Lord's own house, the Lord's covenant people, who also enter into covenant with him of a broken heart and contrite spirit, will be led out on the eve of destruction. They are they who shall be found written in the book. Now, this book is God's book of life, the Lamb's book. They are they who enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit who seek after and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's how we have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So they that be wise are the same as the wise talked about in DNC 45. The wise virgin. Those who take the Holy Spirit as their guide. Those who enter into the new covenant of broken heart and contrite spirit. Receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And thereafter, feast upon the words of Christ. They are these who are wise. Shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. For when they receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, they have light and glory added upon them. But as they continue to feast upon the words of Christ, they continue to have light and glory added upon them until they are able to be brought into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and endure that glory and have more light and glory added upon them. And they that turn many to righteousness, as the stars forever and ever. Um, you know, the stars in antiquity are symbolic of those who are in celestial glory and have had glory and light added unto them. But, oh, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and the knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and I, behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. The one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven. Okay, again, we have temple imagery here. Or those who have entered into the true covenant, who have been instructed by the Lord after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, in all things that they should do to enter into the rest of the Lord or to receive the second Comforter. And swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, time, and time and a half. When he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not, then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white, made white with light and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand, because they are taught by the Spirit of God. They know how to exercise discernment to be led by the spirit so that they are not deceived, but they find the truth. And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. And many shall be purified and be made white. And tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up. So, from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, or the time that the new and everlasting covenant shall be hidden from the people of God... From that time, the conditions that lead up to the beginning of the abomination of desolation are established and go forth. There shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Now, in DNC 103, we pick up in verse 12. For after much tribulation, for even the wheat go through much tribulation. As I have said unto you in a former commandment, cometh a blessing. Behold, this is the blessing which I have promised after your tribulations, and the tribulations of your brethren, your redemption and the redemption of your brethren, even the restoration to the land of Zion, to be established no more, to be thrown down. Okay, why does Zion have to be redeemed why do the people of zion have to be restored to the land of zion to be established no more to be thrown down well that has direct reference to the fact that initially they were thrown down well this all occurred during joseph smith's first ministry because again as was prophesied as we have read that the people would reject the new covenant, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and so would go into a smitten and a scattered state, that we would go into periods of tribulation from which we would need to be delivered, even in Joseph Smith's second ministry in the last days. But that at the commencement of his second ministry, and the commencement of the establishment of Zion and restoration of the fullness of the Church of Christ or the terrestrial order, that in the second restoration, then it would be no more thrown down. And we have misunderstood these prophecies and we have applied them to Joseph Smith's first ministry. And therefore, we have been led astray. And we've been led astray by our own misunderstanding and by the words of those who have not taken the Holy Spirit as their guide. Who do not have power and authority in the apostolic order of the Melchizedek Priesthood and profess to be able to prophesy and to declare the meaning of Scripture without power and without authority. And because they lean unto their own understanding and not unto God's, they completely misunderstand the prophecies and the scriptures. And thus, even the humble followers of Christ um, do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Because even the humble followers of Christ have come into a situation where they take for doctrine and revelation. Those who speak without the power uh, and authority of the Holy Ghost. Verse 14, nevertheless, if they pollute their inheritance, they shall be thrown down. So, you know, they actually have to repent and return. They actually have to take the Holy Spirit as their guide, or they will not be able to discern a true prophet from a false one. And if they do not, They will be thrown down a second time. These are the tares who are separated at the end from the wheat. 15. But behold, I see unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. Again, this is the man who will lead them, verses the prophet like unto Moses who will be raised up. The prophet like unto Moses who will be raised up is the Holy One of Israel. Um, in contrast to his servant, the man who will be raised up like unto Moses, who is Joseph Smith Jr. For ye are the children of Israel and of the seed of Abraham, and ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. Now, this is what happens on the eve of destruction. This happens before the abomination of desolation, but after great bondage and tribulation and destruction. But were it not for this, end time Exodus, all of the saints would be destroyed. Verse 18, and as your fathers were led at first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, my angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. Now, this lets us know the spiritual level that is required of those who are to be led out on this end time Exodus. They must qualify not only for angels, but also for the presence of God. Verse 20, But I say unto you, my angel shall go up before you, and also my presence. And in time you shall possess the goodly land. Now, the presence of God that these people must be prepared for is not yet the coming of Christ in the fullness of his glory. But it is the presence of God as he came and visited his twelve apostles after his crucifixion and resurrection and the appearance that he made to the Nephites after his resurrection, after those who could not endure that degree of glory of Christ, which was not yet the fullness of his glory, which doesn't come until he comes in the fullness of his glory in the end times. But we must be able to bear his presence uh, as he condescends from his celestial and terrestrial glories to come with great telestial glory as he did to his 12 apostles and as he did to the Nephites, which Nephites uh, could not endure that glory were destroyed in the destructions after his crucifixion. Verse 21. Verily, verily I sent to you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. Now there are some who you know will preach the parable of the redemption of Zion, and its commentary that we have just read some of it in DNC one oh three, but will leave out verse twenty-one. And they will leave out verse twenty-one because they say that it's part of another revelation. But if you look back to the original manuscripts, it's not part of another revelation. Verse 21 came directly after verse 20 in the original revelation. The one difference is um, for protection's sake, and so that the identity of certain individuals might be failed from the enemies of the church, and only be known to um, the faithful members of the church. There were code names used for many in the Book of Commandments and Doctrine and Covenants, and there was one of Joseph Smith's code names was used in verse twenty-one. And so there are some who refuse to see the scriptures in their plainness, who reject Joseph Smith as the Lord's end-time servant, even the Davidic servant, um, who reject verse 21 as being part of, or a continuation of verse 20, because one of Joseph Smith's code, code names was used. Verse 22, therefore let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. stand to the strength of my house. My young men and middle-aged, gather yourselves together unto the land of Zion, unto the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. And, you know, this is how the, the saints or the wheat are saved on the eve of destruction, how they are gathered out and how those missionary efforts commence, which take the fullness of the gospel, both to Lamanites, to the rest of North America, and eventually to the entire world before Christ comes in his glory. And preach the doctrine of Christ by power and by authority. So that by the time Christ comes in his glory, all have had the chance to either accept or reject the doctrine of Christ preached by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Now let's go to DNC 112. And in DNC 112 verses 23 through 26. Verily I sent to you darkness covereth the earth and gross darkness the minds of the people and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth. A day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. So again, this is the day of separation between the wheat and the tares, The day which will begin the abomination of desolation. Not a fake pandemic as we have upon us now, but one that will truly wreak out death and destruction. DNC 29, verses 1 through 29. Listen to the voice of Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, the great I Am, whose arm of mercy hath atoned for your sins, who will gather his people even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, even as many as will hearken to my voice, and humble themselves before me, and call upon me in mighty prayer. Again, this has reference to Christ gathering his elect in the end times, after the return of Joseph Smith, Jr., his second time, and after he gathers together the end time servants as they go out and they declare the doctrine of Christ in power and authority. Um, as it is declared in the Book of Mormon, Doctrine, Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price, this is the gathering of Christ's people, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings even as many as will hearken to the voice of my voice, or hearken to my voice and humble themselves before me, humbling themselves before me means entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and call upon me in mighty prayer. And it is by calling upon God in mighty prayer that we are able to receive the terms of this new covenant by which we might be instructed about how to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirits, and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Behold, verily I see unto you, that at this time your sins are forgiven you. So, at the time we enter into this new covenant, a broken heart and contrite spirit, and cry mightily unto God, and receive the terms of the covenant, And we will receive it with a baptism of fire, and our sins will be forgiven. Therefore you receive these things. But remember, to sin no more, lest perils shall come upon you. And by sinning no more, it refers primarily to do not again not hearken unto the voice of the Spirit. Do not be a foolish virgin. Verily, I send to you that ye are chosen out of the world to declare my gospel with the sound of rejoicing, as with the voice of a trump. So all those who have been warned it has been it is incumbent upon them to warn their neighbors. So this is talking specifically to the first labors in the last kingdom who return with Joseph Smith and those who awake and arise, who are among the strength of the Lord's house, who hear their words and awaken. Lift up your hearts and be glad, for I am in your midst and am your advocate with the Father. And it is his goodwill to give you the kingdom. Now, how exactly is Christ the advocate of these men and women with the Father? Well, let's quickly turn to Third Nephi chapter 18. Or rather, Third Nephi chapter 19. And in 3 Nephi 19, we have the account of Christ's 12 disciples among the Nephites, receiving the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, and Christ pleading for them and for those who would believe in him because of their words. Verse 19, And it came to pass that Jesus departed out of the midst of them, and went a little way off from them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, Father, I thank thee. That thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen. And it is because of their belief in me that I have chosen them out of the world. Father, I pray thee that thou wilt give the Holy Ghost unto all them that shall believe in their words. Father, thou hast given them the Holy Ghost because they believe in me. Thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them. They pray unto me, and they pray unto me because I am with them. And now, Father, I pray unto thee for them. Christ is pleading their case before the Father. And also for all those who shall believe on their words, that they may believe in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one. This has direct reference to the pleading that Christ did for those who became and would become his sons and his daughters. Through the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass, verse 24, that when Jesus had thus prayed unto the Father, he came unto his disciples, and behold, they did still continue without ceasing to pray unto him. And they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray, and they were filled with desire. Or, in other words, they manifest one of the signs of those who received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, they spoke with the tongue of angels, or by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, or they had the words which they should speak given unto them. And these are they for whom Christ pleads. Back to d 29, verse 5. And lift up your hearts and be glad, for I am in your midst and am your advocate with the Father. He's pleading our case that he might be able to adopt us, his sons and his daughters, that he might be able to extend his name to us, that we might be able to take it upon us. And it is his good will to give you the kingdom. And as it is written, Whatsoever ye shall ask in faith, being united in prayer, according to my command, ye shall receive. And ye are called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. For mine elect hear my voice, and harden not their hearts. Again, this is as one speaking from the dust, a prophecy written in the days of Joseph Smith's first ministry to those who would assist him in the work during his second ministry and gathering out the elect for the last time before the coming of Christ in his glory in preparation to take the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And ye are called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. For mine elect hear my voice and harden not their hearts. Or in other words, my elect. As soon as they come to an understanding of the true new and everlasting covenant, they receive it with gladness. And they enter in by offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit. Wherefore the decree hath gone forth from the Father that they shall be gathered in unto one place upon the face of this land to prepare their hearts and be prepared in all things against the day when tribulation and desolation are sent forth upon the wicked. Well, this is the day that we live in right now. We're living in that day where tribulation and desolation, even the desolation or abomination of desolation, is about to be sent forth upon the tares of the Lord's house, and then upon the entire world. For the hour is nigh, and the day soon at hand, when the earth is ripe. And all the proud, and they that do wickedly, shall be a stubble. And I will burn them up, saith the Lord God of hosts, that wickedness shall not be upon the earth. For the hour is nigh that which was spoken by mine apostles must be fulfilled. For as they spoke, so shall it come to pass. For I will reveal myself from heaven with power and great glory, with all the hosts thereof, and dwell in righteousness with men on earth a thousand years. And the wicked shall not stand. And again, verily I say unto you, and it hath gone forth in a firm decree by the will of the Father, that mine apostles, the twelve, which were with me in my ministry at Jerusalem, shall stand at my right hand at the day of my coming in a pillar of fire, being clothed with robes of righteousness, with crowns upon their heads, in glory, even as I am to judge the whole house of Israel, even as many as have loved me and kept my commandments and none else. For a trump shall shound, both long and loud, even as upon Mount Sinai, and all the earth shall quake. And they shall come forth, yea, even the dead, which died in me, to receive a crown of righteousness, and to be clothed upon even as I am, to be with me, that we may be one. But behold, I see unto you, that before this great day shall come, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall be turned into blood. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and there shall be greater signs in heaven, above and in the earth beneath. And there shall be weeping and wailing among the hosts of men. And there shall be a great hailstorm sent forth to destroy the crops of the earth. And it shall come to pass that because of the wickedness and of the world, that I will take vengeance upon the wicked, for they will not repent For the cup of mine indignation is full. For behold, my blood shall not cleanse them if they hear me not. Wherefore I, the Lord God, will send forth flies upon the face of the earth, which shall take hold of the inhabitants thereof, and shall eat their flesh, and shall cause maggots to come in upon them. And their tongue shall be stayed, that they shall not utter against me and their flesh shall fall from off their bones, and their eyes from their sockets. Now specifically, in verse 19, and their tongues shall be stayed that they shall not utter against me, has direct reference to those who blaspheme against the Lord, who claim to speak by his power and authority, and yet have neither, neither his authorization. And this is part of the abomination of desolation. Um, in addition to the desolating scourge. Their tongues shall be stayed that they shall not utter against me. And their flesh shall fall from off their bones, and their eyes from their sockets. Now we know why it's called the abomination of desolation. And it shall come to pass that the beasts of the forest and the fowls of the air shall devour them up. And the great and abominable church, which is the whore of all the earth, shall be cast down by devouring fire, according as it is spoken by the mouth of Ezekiel the prophet, who spoke of these things, which have not come to pass, but surely must, as I live, for abominations shall not reign. And again, verily I say unto you, that when the thousand years are ended, and men again begin to deny their God, Then will I spare the earth but for a little season. So, at the end of the thousand-year period of the reign of Christ, when Satan is again loosed and gathers again his forces from those both within and without the New Jerusalem, and we have the commencement of the Battle of Gog and Magog, we will actually end the doctrinal portion of our discussion right there. Um, next Monday we will pick up again in DNC 29 starting in verse 22 and we will have our last and concluding zoom cast on Christ's second coming uh which will be part 8. Uh, before we will begin a commentary on the book of Isaiah as end-time prophecy and an illustration of where we are at and what is about to come upon us and therefore how we prepare for it. And now we will open up our discussion to personal experience.